Welcome to your most visionary life. On this weekly podcast, I sit down with visionary humans and ask them the one question that you probably want to know the answer to. How did they create, launch, and scale up the business of their dreams? My name is Kelsey Rydell, and I am the founder of Visionary Life and The Visionary Method. The intention behind all of our content is simple, and that is to plug you into the people, inspiration, and information that will help you create your own most visionary life. As you begin to listen to the episodes, you'll discover one obvious and common thread, and that's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. This show is going to help you consciously create a life you love on your own terms. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Today on the show, I am chatting with Paul and Russ from the company Just Tea. Just Tea is a fair trade tea partnership with small scale Kenyan farmers who are on a mission to connect tea drinkers to the farmer who made their cup of tea possible. They are all about creating sustainable employment on the ground and providing customers with access to healthy new purple tea. So what is purple tea, you ask? I'll tell you shortly, but first we're going to get into some life updates. So welcome back to the show. I I know you have so many options these days when it comes to podcasts, so I'm really grateful that you're here. And I started this podcast in January of 2018, so we are about one and a half years old, which is crazy, and I cannot believe how many incredible people many of them business owners that I've been able to interview and bring their visionary wisdom to you through this audio medium, which I am truly obsessed with the art of podcasting and how it can enrich our lives. This show has really been a tool for me to connect with visionary minds and to share their stories. And for that, I'm super grateful. So My call to action to you would be that if you've been enjoying this show, I'd really love if you could leave me a rating and a review or either or on iTunes. You just have to pop open my show and then scroll to the bottom and you will see an area where you can input a review. So today, I just wanted to chat for two minutes a little bit more about a workshop that I was able to attend on Friday at my co-working space. And this workshop really made me think, and it was impactful, and I can't stop replaying some of the conversations in my mind. And the interesting thing of this workshop is that it was called The Art of Meaningful Conversation. Okay, think about that again. It's the art of meaningful conversation. So I'm going to ask you, do you feel like you have meaningful conversations in your life? Are there certain people in your life that you feel like you never get past that surface level conversation, right? You talk about maybe the latest sport game, and then you chat about the weather, and then you chat about their weekend plans, and then you run out of things to say, right? It happens to all of us. Maybe it's people that you work with. Maybe it's friends of yours who you hang out with. And unfortunately, when you hang out, you're always, I don't know, drinking and watching a sport game together. So there's not much opportunity to go deeper. 
So without recapping the whole workshop to you here on the podcast, I just wanted to express how fascinating it is to put some thought into how we converse as humans. And if you're the type that's interested in having better conversations, um, how do you start fostering those? And for some of us, we don't even realize where our slip-ups are in terms of the conversations we're having, right? Maybe you talk about yourself too much. Perhaps you don't talk about you at all, right? And you're more interviewing the people that you're with because you're afraid to share your own stories. Maybe you don't open up and never give people your truest thoughts and feelings. So it's a very fascinating topic to me because within my network here, I notice the people that I'm able to have quality conversations with versus people that I know it's really difficult to get more than two words out of them and more than just, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? And that's where the conversation ends. So it was fascinating to hear just what the difference is between the typical or the automatic response versus getting to the interesting. And for me, one of my goals for 2019 has been to be more curious because I believe that curiosity can lead us to places we could never imagine, right? It'll get you the answers, the skills, the tools um, that you need to be curious enough to ask for and to find. And this goal has really helped me to be more inquisitive and to wonder what everyone's story is. So a goal going forward is really for me to focus on getting to the interesting versus the automatic. I am not here to change the way that I converse with everybody, but the old, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? When there's opportunity to go deeper, there's time, you're in the right situation, um, to know the cues, to be able to ask spin-off questions and to really make people feel comfortable in your presence without feeling like it's an interview it is an art, and that's why I loved this workshop. And the host of the workshop, Alvin, uh, he will be hosting lots more in Toronto, and he does coaching. So if that's something that interests you and you want to learn more about that, uh, just reach out to me, and I'd be happy to share more details. Okay, so back to purple tea. What is it? So purple tea grows naturally in Kenya from purple tea leaves, <laughs> similar to other purple superfoods like blueberries and acai. Purple tea has more antioxidants than green tea, hello anthocyanins, and half the caffeine of green tea. Just Tea, the company, and the interview that I have for you today has already won BC's product of the year last year for Purple Tea, and I have no doubt that with the leadership from today's guests, Paul and Russ, they are definitely on track to win more and more awards in years to come. This is a brand that you need to watch out for. I've already shared it with many of my friends and family, and a lot of them surprisingly said, yeah, I've already got that tea in my home, which I was really excited to hear. On this episode, we chat about where the idea for Just Tea came from and how it began to evolve into a business plan. We hear about some of the first few steps that were needing to happen in order to even begin launching a packaged good, right? It sounds a little bit daunting. We chat about their journey using crowdfunding to raise some of the initial money necessary to get this business off the ground. 
They share how their product packaging is actually part of their brand storytelling. And you have to go check out their incredible packaging. I've got it right here in front of me. It's the most beautiful tin and it's got this incredibly gorgeous hand-carved spoon pasted right to it. So head over to kelseyridle.com slash podcast if you want to see it. Uh, Paul and Rush share some of their proudest moments in launching the business and the incredible partnerships they have in Kenya and also how they manage them with people halfway across the world. And we chat about so much more. This is an awesome interview. I had so much fun. I'm going to post a photo on my Instagram, and I just really can't wait for you to hear from Paul and Russ. They are both so passionate, so vibrant, so visionary. So go check out Just Tea at www.justtea.com, J-U-S-T-E-A, or Just Tea Kenya on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so quick word from our sponsor, and I want to share a little story here. So I'm obsessed with cacao nibs, like seriously. I sprinkle them on my smoothie bowls for added crunch. When I have a chocolate craving, I eat them straight out of the bag. And some of you are probably wondering, what the heck are cacao nibs? So they're actually small pieces of crushed cacao beans or cocoa beans that have a very bitter chocolatey flavor. And they are deliciously satisfying, let me tell you, with none of the refined sugar that typical chocolate has. So it is a win-win in my opinion. And even though they're really small in size, cacao nibs are packed with tons of nutrients in them and they are a true visionary superfood. Anyways, I could go on about my love affair of these little nibs for hours, but I think I should also tell you where the heck I buy them since you can't always find them in every grocery store. So enter Healthy Planet, your one-stop shop for all your natural health and supplement needs. I've been shopping at Healthy Planet for over five years, which is crazy, ever since I moved to Toronto, so almost seven years, and that's why I'm so grateful to partner with them to bring forward this episode of Visionary Life. So on the Healthy Planet Canada website, you can shop by department or dietary need, or you can even just check out the sale rack, which is awesome, and it's such an efficient way to ensure you're stocked up on all your favorite health goods all of the time. So if you want, use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save money. So I've been shopping at Healthy Planet uh, for quite a while. They've always had the best service. They ship so quickly. So if you shop online, you're going to be able to receive your order in just a few short days. So I'd encourage you to go check them out at healthyplanetcanada.com. And again, you can use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save 10% off of your online order as long as it's a minimum of $49. Okay, so Paul and Russ, thank you so much for being on the Visionary Life podcast today. We're recording. Yeah, we're going to leave that in. (laughs) I just like to blindside people. And um, yeah, so you guys just got into Toronto last night, right? So are you a little jet lagged at all? Are you feeling good? We were up pretty late last night and then we realized that it's not actually like 
10 p.m. It was one in the morning, so yeah. we're a little sleepy, but feeling all right. Feeling did okay. you go out on the town, or did you have a quiet night in the Went hotel? Went to Jack Astor's, which is in a thing in Vancouver. Apparently, it's a thing here, I guess. So we oh yeah, it's that. a thing. Yeah. It's like when I go to Vancouver, and you guys have all those chains like Joey's, and so we saw Joey's though last night. You guys? Got I don't think anyone on. goes here though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too new. It's wrong. still too new, and I still only want to go if I'm on the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to start off with a couple fun facts that I heard. So I've heard that Canadians actually drink more coffee per capita than other countries, but why should we be switching to tea instead? <laughs> Russell? Uh, well, tea is definitely a healthy beverage, um, and it doesn't give you that caffeine crash. It's something that we drink all day at the office, and we make uh, several pots and always have a cup of tea in, in hand. Um, it's loaded with antioxidants, and uh, yeah, it's just really good for you. And so just to set the stage for the listeners, what is purple tea and what makes this different than the average tea that we're grabbing from the grocery store? Yeah, purple tea is a whole new category of tea. So Just Tea is the exclusive provider of purple tea. So it's not green, it's not black, it's not oolong, it's purple. The reason why it's purple is it actually grows from a purple leaf. So that's, Kenya is the only country that can grow purple tea. Um, and it's totally natural, just like other purple plants, blueberries, pomegranates, uh, acai, eggplant. They're all, they all have that purple pigmentation because they contain super antioxidants called anthocyanins. So this means that purple tea is more antioxidants than green tea and less than half the caffeine. So it's really delicious, really healthy, and just a great alternative to if you're a coffee drinker or if you typically like green tea. This is a really nice um, alternate category that's available now. Mm. Well, I cannot wait to explore this further and to hear all about how purple tea came into your lives. But first, why don't we learn a little bit about what each of you were up to in the years leading up to Just Tea. So maybe, Russ, you can start. What were those few years before you and Paul partnered? What were you doing? What was your career path looking like? What were your interests? So I was, uh, I was a chef, I was a sous chef at Earl's for quite a while and uh, I moved to Vancouver uh, for a job and uh, I met Paul there in Vancouver and the following year we both went tree planting. Uh, it was something that Paul had done the year prior and uh, I heard a lot of great stories about it so I joined in and uh, we tree planted for six years together after that. Six years, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Is that a seasonal job? Seasonal job, yeah, from May till August. And uh, probably the toughest job, but the mm-hmm. most rewarding job that I've ever had. Toughest job in Canada, this yeah. 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 Shout wow. out to all your tree planters out there. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a rite of passage, and uh, there's just plenty of great stories that come from it. So did you tree plant in the summer and then you went and did chefing during the winter? Was that your balance or what was going yes, on? Yes, I, I cooked a little bit, but I usually took a lengthy holiday with, uh, with the pay that we made and uh, I would come back, I would, I would go traveling and then uh, come back in, you know, in the winter time and, and cook again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have you always been someone who enjoyed working off those not typical nine to five hours? Because obviously with tree planting, with chefing, those are uh, jobs where the schedule is a bit more unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A nine to five job is something I've never really had until just tea. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, definitely a good change in my adult life, but uh, it was uh, quite an adventure and I liked being uh, a little off schedule like that. 
Awesome. And Paul, what were you up to in the years leading up to launching Just Tea? So maybe what did you go to school for? What was your career path like? Yeah, so I was um, working at uh, a coffee shop called JJ Bean. Uh, There's actually some in Toronto that are fantastic. We provide them all their tea now. Um, At the time, I was just uh, working there as a barista and a baker. And, um, and so I was doing that part-time and I was studying at uh, UBC. So I was doing a degree in, in arts, political science and philosophy with a focus actually on uh, East African studies and development work. Uh, so that's kind of what, what, where my first inspiration came um, for, for working at Just Tea or, or starting Just Tea. And then uh, as Russ mentioned, we were tree planting uh, for many years and that really as a team mentality. Um, I was leading crews and Russ was also leading crews together. So we got to um, really start to understand what it is to, to be uh, man- manage things and, and think on your feet. Um, and that allowed us um, to also have that flexibility to be able to travel and experience culture. And so that naturally led me to Uganda actually first. Um, I was doing exchange in, in Barcelona. Uh, my, I was actually living with my wife there, who, well, now my wife, and um, took a trip down to Uganda. And that's kind of what really um, set that, that fire in me to, to want to stay somewhere in that area and then start some sort of social enterprise there. I was doing charity work at the time. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to study East African studies? Was that random? Was it something that's always been on your mind and on your heart? What prompted you to go into that? Oh, I have, I've never actually thought about that. It kind of just, it just, I guess I probably saw, I, I, I was reading some books, like I read Dead Aid, and I thought that was really interesting by Damisa Moyo. Um, and that was when I was still at college, and I took a long time to do my degree because I would just do like one semester at a time, and then tree plant, and then travel, and um, and so you know six years uh, and, and doing some traveling and um, reading different books. So then it just kind of led me towards that where I really focused in my last year um, specifically in that region. Um, I just found it uh, was a really exciting um, story that that these countries had. Um, and also just like, wow, like it, there's, they're so young still from gaining independence, like Kenya gained independence in the sixties. And so there's such a transition and, and, um, and obviously such a, the birthplace of humanity. So a lot of, um, a lot of stories just in the soil there. So I guess it just kind of naturally led me there. And, um, and once I started learning more, I just realized that this is, I just have this passion and, and wanted mm-hmm. to see it through. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I think sometimes we feel these little nudges or tugs and we don't really know why, but obviously for you, it was because it was going to become a really massive part of your life and your entrepreneurial journey eventually. Uh, But it's just encouraging maybe for the listeners to hear sometimes, you know, if you're feeling called to take a course or go travel, just follow it because you just never really know it it could turn into something greater. So I think that's really neat. And you know what, like a lot of people ask me, don't you regret taking arts at school instead of business? But I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that. Like if I didn't have, if it didn't drive me to that region and if I didn't have, you know, those courses about critical thinking and international development already, um, it wouldn't have sparked that passion. So I think if, even if you're studying, 
um, just to follow like what you're interested in. And even if it's something like music or, or arts, um, just go with it and you never know what will lead you to. Because if, if you're doing something you believe in, then it's going to work. It's gonna, you're going to enjoy it. So. Yeah, I find that's a definite common thread with a lot of the guests that we've had on the show is that they studied things completely random from what they are doing now. But there's always these common threads that you can pull from your previous experience, your past education, and it's never a waste. It's always a learning and it's always a lesson. And I mean, for me, even I studied um, human resources and I'm doing nothing. Uh, or when I went into nutrition coaching, it had nothing to do with what I had studied in school. But eventually, as I evolved my business and I started working with private business coaching clients, I realized, oh gosh, I did learn a lot of the skills that I do need nowadays. So so never try to write off my past, even though I thought at the time it was quite useless. Um, so did either of you ever aspire to become entrepreneurs? Was that something that ran in your family? Uh, it's not something that ran in my family, but I have, I have an uncle that uh, was in operations and he started a small uh, grain exportation business with friends and uh, he was there from the start and uh, just seeing how how he grew the business uh, with his partners and uh, where he is today um, really gave me some inspiration to to do something like that to kind of build something that's larger than yourself it was always something that had a really good allure to and uh, throughout uh, my 20s I, I did, didn't really see it as something that was attainable uh, with with what was in front of me but um, as soon as I had the opportunity, then I, I really felt like it was it was definitely the right path, and there was not a lot of um, decision making to do. It, it just seemed like the right opportunity at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity obviously came in part from you, Paul. So, did you always aspire to be an entrepreneur? Was this something that you feel like you were born to do, or did it come with time? Uh, probably born to do it. Cause my father is a very seasoned entrepreneur. He's the founder of Rocky Mountain Bicycles. So one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, bicycle companies in Canada now. So we started that in the 80s. And so um, I was raised um, very much, uh, it, was, it was a family business as well, and it just very grew um, to, to quite a successful company. And so learning from my father, mentor for both Russ and I, um, he's been uh, just, yeah, a found, the founder of the company. and and really guided us through this journey, um, uh, coming on multiple trips to Kenya with us. And so I feel like that was uh, something that I was very fortunate to be raised in. And uh, same with my brother, actually. Um, And there's a few other people who come from a fairly large family. So Mm -hmm. seeing a a bit more of those those traits throughout, um, I never, I I felt like I always had this, this, this natural desire to go out and try different things and, and take those risks um, and, and always be thinking like this is going to be some po- something positive is going to come from this. I've always had that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, with this opportunity, much like Russ and uh, talking to my dad about like, yeah, we should definitely do this. When we were doing our research, mm-hmm. we can we can make this happen. Like they are, they're making some incredible teas there. Like we just need to be able to find markets for them and, and tell their story and then customers will, will enjoy it just as much as we do. So it, mm-hmm. it, it just worked out. Amazing. Yeah. And I love that you say we just need to tell their story because that's something that as I was browsing through your website, uh, I know storytelling is a huge part of what you guys do. So we'll cover that in a moment. But first, I want to hang out on the ideation of Just Tea. So was it your idea? Was it your dad's idea, Paul? 
my dad came up with the name for sure, and it was his original idea. When he first presented the name Just Tea uh, to my wife and my cousins, actually, um, we're just, we were into it. We're like, Just Tea, what is that? And much like yourself before we were talking on the show, is it Just Tea or is it Just Tea? <laughs> yeah, we have to so, clear that up right yeah, now. <laughs> there's one tea in Just Tea, and it's justly made. And so, so my dad, is, we are in a whiteboard, classic boardroom. He put it up on the board, and he's like, if you guys don't like it, put a better name up there and then we can vote. And so none of us had a better name. So like, I guess we're staying with it. And now like, it's, it, it definitely is the brand. Like, it is who, who it's supposed to be. So uh, I'm really glad that we didn't come up with some other silly name. Um, but um, my, So my dad had the original vision. And then, um, uh, and then when I traveled to Kenya with him, he went on an earlier trip uh, with do some charity work. And when he came back, he invited me to go on a follow-up trip. And that's when we stayed on the tea, um, with the tea farmer, uh, living right on the garden with him, and got to experience um, the whole culture of tea there. Kenya is actually the largest exporter of black tea in the world, um, but not a lot of people know that because it's not branded as Kenyan. The story of the farmer is not told. It's more sold as a commodity black tea that goes into your Tetley or Lipton tea bags. Mm-hmm. And so there's half a million small-scale farmers there and a huge need. And so by living with one of them and experiencing their joys and struggles of working with tea, uh, we both right away just um, we knew this is something that we wanted to uh, create a partnership, a direct trade partnership with. So mm-hmm. it's the first of its kind actually in Kenya, direct farmer direct partnership. And that is so fascinating, and I'm sure so needed. Um, what were those initial conversations with these local farmers like? Um, how did you present them the idea that this would be a valid partnership for them? It was the the idea of the partnership actually came from them. So without them like actually proposing it, we were mostly talking about what is what is the storyline of, of of a tea leaf when it's picked from the bush to when it is steeped in the customer's cup, the tea drinker's cup. And so they kind of gave us the journey, and and we were able to f- to um, fill the rest of the story once because we knew some experience in Canada how it works. So they said, you know, we pick the leaves. And then we drop them off at a, a buying station, a weighing station, where they weigh it, and they pay us just for that wet leaf, that price. And so it's a very low price. And then that leaf is transported to the factory, the factory processes it, then it goes to a warehouse, then it goes to a broker, then it goes to the auction, then it goes on a boat, and then it goes to a distributor, then it goes to a warehouse. And there's so many steps. You know, that's what I'm getting, what I'm getting towards. And, um, and so what, what the farmer actually said to us, his name is Davidson, he's like, if I can do what the factory does, and if you can do what the rest of the steps do, um, then we can earn more, and, and the, the customer can can taste a better quality cup of tea because it'll be much more fresh. And so essentially, that's that's what we did. We're like, okay, we can provide loans to set up a small scale factory, mm-hmm. uh, the first cottage factory actually in Kenya, um, owned completely by the farmers. And so they're picking the leaves, they're making the, the tea right there, and then we buy directly from that factory. And so it doesn't go through any other middlemen. So the customer gets a total direct trade story. They get to know who the farmer is, which is very rare in the tea industry, and they get a better quality cup of tea. And so the farmer actually had the idea originally, and we mm-hmm. came back and did a bunch of research and like, yeah, this, this makes sense. And this is something that's lacking in the, in the tea industry right now. So maybe there's a, a bit of a market differentiator that we can propose here and, mm-hmm. and offer. So did you come up against a lot of challenges in trying to do a lot of the distribution yourself and getting it actually across 
um, the ocean to North America because obviously there's all those different steps in a traditional model because it's more efficient. So I'm wondering when you decided, hey, we'll just work direct with the farmer, was that a nightmare or was everything just easy to, to bring it across here? Uh, it was definitely difficult at the beginning, uh, especially with, with um, just tea not really being known as an exporter um, or importer in Canada and, uh, and really not knowing how, how the system works. You know, the, you, you can do the research in Canada and talk to CBSA about uh, the rules and regulations there and, and cover those bases pretty quickly. But, uh, but with Kenya, there's, there's a bit of corruption that, that happens at the port and there's, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know and not a lot of that knowledge is researchable. So we really had to trust our partners in Kenya to, um, to help us guide us through this. And uh, with small shipments and, and things like that, we, you know, we, we saw that things work in a, in a slow pace in Kenyan time, as they say, you know, pole, it's, pole. It's, pole, pole means slowly and uh, it gets there when it gets there and it's done when it's done. Um, we, you know, adapting from the Canadian mindset to a Kenyan mindset, you weren't really able to say, well, you know, I need this done by Thursday. Can you get it done? Uh, on Monday, they say it's not done. And th that's all the information you get, right? You, you get, it's not done. And then, and then they'll tell you when it's, when it's done. So, um, you know, we learned to have patience with that and also, you know, learn how to, how to speed things up and make things more efficient. And uh, our, the, our farming partners, uh, Boaz and Jose Jacob, were the ones that really helped us uh, through that and, uh, and created those contacts that we now, you know, have as trusted partners mm -hmm. um, for export. Did you run into any major roadblocks in trying to do this direct trade and fair trade or was it all pretty seamless? We had the assumption that the government was maybe going to look at this negatively because we were trying to maybe change the industry of tea uh, and so they might not want someone to upset what, what framework is already there. Uh, but we didn't find too much, um, too much pushback on that because we were so small and they just said, you know, this is a nice project, you know, let, we'll, we'll let you um, unfold as, as you unfold. Um, and then the, the factory was, um, was where a lot of the challenges were made because, you know, we, we set up this small factory, we're doing everything by hand, you know, we weren't, we weren't at the stage where we can just buy a whole bunch of machines and do it the way other factories do it. We really started from scratch and from scratch meaning by hand, and then the next stage was uh, having these innovative uh, handymen like in Kenya. They knew how to weld, and they knew um, how to put electronic, electric equipment together. So they actually replicated machines, um, just homemade machines, to, to wow. get the first machine-made tea um, with rolling and stuff like that, so, and, and, and drying the leaves. So uh, it was it was really good to see that innovation from them and to get from from by hand to homemade equipment to where we are now today where we were able to buy uh, proper equipment for for them to make tea in a larger scale. One of the middle steps before we started knowing what type of machines we should build is we brought a just a regular room heater here just that you plug into the wall. We brought it from Vancouver to Kenya in my luggage on my second trip to Kenya. 
And then when we were there, we built this little metal box, just like two feet by four feet, attached it to the room heater, and that was our dryer to dry the tea. Like when we were talking by hand, like it was hand rolled or using cooking pots for different things. We were like, it was very, very like slow food process. Like that was part, we were definitely the slow food movement there. Like it was just very rudimentary, but we wanted to see if it was possible because at the time, Kenya, they're just making the ground up tea, right? Like we were one of the first companies to make a whole leaf quality tea. They hadn't seen it really before. And, um, and what we were doing, as Russ mentioned, like the government, that's, it didn't exist. And so we were thinking that we would get shut down because it was actually illegal. And so now from uh, showing to them that it is a viable product and that we are putting Kenya on the map for a higher quality tea and also the story as a farmer, um, they've they changed the tea act and so there's now a cottage industry license that can happen because of uh, what we've done with with Boaz and Jamila and our partners there uh, they've they've a lot they've opened up the doors for other small-scale farmers to now open up their own little cottage factories as well that must be a proud moment to yes. to be able to share that so congratulations so in addition to the operations of figuring out kind of what the supply chain would look like what else was going on in the early days? Were you writing a business plan after talking with these farmers and getting the idea? Were you starting to market the tea back in North America? Were you throwing up a website to see who was going to buy it? Uh, maybe walk us through kind of what those first few months of pulling this whole business together looked like. Yeah, Russ hopped on during our second crowdfunding campaign. Right. Oh, you yeah. did so, crowdfunding. So we did two crowdfunding campaigns. Yeah, that's how we started. So we did about a year of research and a couple trips to Kenya just to ensure that we, you know, I guess part of it was like we didn't want to speak out of turn. We wanted to ensure that this was a partnership from the beginning. We didn't definitely didn't want it to be like, hey, where are these, uh, they call us Mzungus there, which basically means like a foreigner or, or a white person. <laughs> um, and so we didn't want to be these Mzungus claiming to know what's best for, for, for Kenyans because they, they're, they're helping themselves, right? Like they don't, they don't, they don't need us to go in and try to help solve their problems. Um, and so we wanted to be like, hey, we want to work with you in a partnership at the beginning. So we spent a lot more time just researching, not necessarily writing a business plan, but just kind of testing the market, testing the tea quality, seeing what we could do there. Um, and just ensuring that we had um, people that, that trust us and we can trust them. And once we had that, we launched with two crowdfunding campaigns. Um, we did, I think they were both in the same year, actually, or one yeah, after the other. One right after the other. So we did one and it was pretty successful. Both of them weren't the all, all or nothing campaign, so we got to keep the money either way. And, but more importantly, it was just to get people to taste the tea um, and get the story out there. So uh, we did one of them that was a Vancouver-based company and the other one was like a Kickstarter company. It's called Indiegogo. And, um, and that kind of built our initial uh, community and followers. And then uh, and Russ came on board on the, during the second one and was able to just definitely execute sending out those orders way better than than i could for sure is he's able to think way more operationally than i am um and so it's just a really perfect fit for both of us to to, to partner up right at that early stage mm -hmm. so you got your first few sales we'll say through the crowdfunding campaigns uh was the next logical step to figure out, you know, where else are we going to sell this? So after the initial crowdfunders got their tea and became kind of those first loyal consumers, 
Were you thinking, okay, let's go find some retail partners, let's sell in coffee shops, let's focus on e-commerce? How did the sales department of Just Tea start to unfold? Well, what we did next was we launched our website, just a, a basic website to sell the same products that we were offering in the fundraising campaign, just to give that opportunity for those fundraisers to be a reoccurring customer. Uh, we also started a subscription plan to uh, to get people to order our tea once per month and uh, we'd let them choose what they would like. Uh, we had three or four different blends at that time. And uh, so we really wanted to kind of keep that, that family of, of consumers really close. We wanted to know who they were, we wanted to know their preferences and, uh, and build up from there. And uh, the next step was to um, approach grocery stores and uh, natural health food stores and tea shops uh, just to get those first wholesale orders out, which uh, I think started about a year after the, uh, the second fundraising campaign ended. Yeah. Yeah. In 2015, I yeah. guess, end of 2014. The first sale I got was so exciting. It was for like maybe like 100 bucks or whatever. But it, I, I'll never forget it. It was just to a local cafe in my group called Finches. And it wasn't, so it wasn't a grocery store. At the start, we were just targeting more of these cafes because we figured like they're serving tea, so it's a natural fit. We'll kind of sell some bulk and maybe they'll carry some of our, our, our packages um, as well. And I, so I walked down there, I just like came in and just showed them my product or whatever. I was like, this is what we have. I just, I'm just up the street. I want to see if you want to buy some. And they said, yes. I was like, really? Like you actually want to buy it? This is amazing. Thank you so much. And like, and they still carry the tea and, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful start of everything. And now like I, sometimes I think back on that when we get, you know, maybe a different sale and just to, to remember those times and to appreciate those sales still. I think that's always good to do and keep it in perspective. Like, hey, this really means something when people are supporting you and, and you're, you're, you're building this partnership together, whether it's a wholesale customer, a supplier, or just a teacher that buys from our website. Mm-hmm. So I know we have a lot of listeners who one day would like to start a product-based business that would sell in grocery stores or natural uh, food retailers. So for someone who is on that path, could you offer them one or two tips for building the relationships that are necessary for getting your product in front of these people? Or maybe it's a tip in pitching yourself or growing those uh, partnerships. Um, so I would say for, for in terms of product is just to really develop your product so that it's it's a winner. Um, always, you know, make sure that you have that product that will, will have a good... Um, first impression with the customer uh, and just really figure that out before you you try to put it on a bunch of shelves. Um, with our tins, uh, it's, it's become our main product line and it's evolved through the years and we've always, you know, taken every year to, to make it better, perfect it, make it more efficient, make it better for the customers and give them more tea. And, uh, but from the, from the start, we knew that that was, that was our product that was going to be, you know, kind of our, our bread and butter of the business. And uh, when, for, when you find a product like that that wins is to just really focus on it and not, and not try to develop too many other things that are hopefully going to also work is just to put all your eggs in the basket that's already working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that we, we knew at the start our tin was going to be special because we had this hand-carved Kenyan spoon attached to it, so it wouldn't really stand out on the shelf. But I would also say, like, uh, you don't always know what's a winner when you're starting. So we, we didn't know exactly, but we knew we had something special from the early customers. 
But the amount of changes our tin has gone through is it's quite enormous. Like at the start, we were just fabric wrapping everything with fabric we brought back from the Kenyan marketplace. My mom would cut it. We'd modge podge it on the tin. Like it was very arts and crafts. And it sold at Whole Foods like that for a long time. And, and then it went through another iteration where we want to tell some more of the farmer's story and have a picture of the farmer on it. So we never took the spoon off, but it has changed quite a bit. So it can take a while to figure out the what a product's gonna end up looking like. And so I would say, don't wait to put your product on the shelf. You gotta test it somehow. I wouldn't go and do a whole bunch of free fills to you know, sow these, but test it in some of your local shops, see how it does and make those changes and be fast. Be able to make those pivots make those changes when you hear that early feedback so you are getting closer to that winning product early on. Mm -hmm. For the grocery store industry, I definitely would stay away from all the big stores. Sorry if you're listening to you guys, it's <laughs> too expensive to get into. We've heard that on the podcast yeah, it's before. It's way too expensive. Yeah. So just be really smart with, with who your initial partners are. Mm -hmm. Definitely look at the local shops. Um, they'll save you on shipping fees. Um, they should be buying the product outright instead of asking for a free product to fill their shelf. Mm -hmm. um, do everything yourself at the start um, until you get to a smart point where you can enlist the distributor, ship direct as much as you can. Don't take on a broker too early because they take too much percentage. We did everything in-house for a long time, probably too long I would say. Like we, we, we probably um, hindered our growth a little bit because we want to keep everything in-house because you lose so much margin when you start working with distributors and, and um, brokers in the grocery industry. We love you guys now, thank you. <laughs> um, but at the start, do it as much as you can in-house. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the best skills you can have as a aspiring or current entrepreneur is to be resourceful and to learn all the jobs and do all the things in the early days so that you're not paying people to do things that you could be doing uh, to save money when you first start off. Um, so speaking of the packaging and I'm looking at the packaging right now and it's stunning and I love that hand carved spoon. Did I see somewhere that you won an innovative packaging award? Yeah. Last year we won two big awards and it's funny because we always talk about like, why don't we win awards? And we realize you, you, you sometimes get nominated for them, but most of the time you have to pay and submit to get them. That's right. Let's try it. So last year we submitted for, um, uh, an award at the world tea expo. So the largest tea um, show in the world in Las Vegas happens every year. So we submitted for a new product award for packaging and, and we won gold medal. So innovative packaging, which is a really proud moment because we know um, we have a package that speaks to our story and to our brand and really um, resonates with customers. So it's a really proud moment. And then actually last year, we won the, the top award for food and beverage in BC. We won a gold medal for, for product of the year. So we uh, were an incredible category, including Fatso um, High Performance Peanut Butter, Bumble Bloom Plant-Based Honey, and so um, we were stoked to beat those guys out because they are gems and, and just doing incredible things. Mm -hmm. And so we won gold for that, and um, it's, it's amazing to get that recognition, you know, after a lot of years' work. Still, like, the most satisfying thing is when people actually, I see it at a store shelf, I see someone pick it up, that's, that's going to be more um, encouraging and more satisfying than, than the awards, but the awards are nice to just recognize the hard work, work we've done, especially on developing something like Purple Tea, because it is unique to our business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking of how the packaging really adds to the storytelling behind what you are creating and the vision and the mission of Just Tea, how else are you communicating that storytelling and bringing people into this incredible journey and story for lack of a better word but obviously we don't all have the chance to get to Kenya and to see what you have seen 
but I, I see through your website that you, you share videos and that. So how, first of all, how important is storytelling for you guys to connect people to the brand and how are you using storytelling to grow the brand itself? Um, we, we know that that's our key brand differentiator um, is, is, is the story of the farmer. Not a lot of tea companies can work directly with farmers. Um, one of the reasons is it's, it's totally disruptive in the category. It's really tricky to get directly to the farmer. A lot of tea companies will work with multiple countries, multiple regions, and so they, they'd have to know a lot of different farmers. So we can be offer that really intimate story for the customer because we take numerous trips to Kenya. Um, we're there at least once a year. Um, we want to invite customers there on tea safaris down the road, which would be really fun, so you can make your own tea and, and live with the farmers and, and hear firsthand. Um, so from putting the, the story of Boaz or Emmanuel on the packaging or Jamila um, to the story of the spoon, which is hand carved, we also highlight it on our website. Um, we try to connect people through Facebook live videos. So we sometimes do live videos from Kenya. So they'll actually go on our Facebook page and, uh, and, and show what it's like to pick tea or to just eat breakfast there, um, like just so that pe people can experience the tea culture in Kenya and, and the farmer life. Um, it is very important to us, um, and it's, it's why we do the business. Mm -hmm. One of the best ways to get our story across is to actually go to these consumer shows, and we've been doing that quite a bit in the last few years, going to um, the uh, Seattle Tea Expo and the San Francisco Tea Expo, and there's tea festivals all over the place, and we're just really starting to identify all, all these markets that are really strong, and um, there's plenty of tea drinkers everywhere and so having that conversation in front of the customer and to be able for them to hear it firsthand from us it has a little bit more impact and uh, yeah and they, they can really relate to to our personal stories so that's why we're here in Toronto this weekend to do uh, um, an expo the coffee and tea expo at uh, Don shop at Don Mills mm -hmm. Yeah, I love to hear that you guys are out there doing these trade shows and these events. And I know a lot of listeners feel overwhelmed by the idea of marketing in general and like where they should spend their efforts. For the two of you, from your opinion, where do you think is the best spend of time currently that you're seeing the most return on spending marketing efforts or dollars to promote Just Tea? So what's working? We don't spend... Oh, yeah. So we were testing a lot of different things right now, actually. So we were spending quite a bit on Facebook. And then I, uh, it bothers me for some reason. Like, it seems like it's a necessary <laughs> me thing. Me too. To do, but it just bothers me. It's like, they don't need more of our money. But how else do we reach this, these customers? So we do some Facebook ads and some Instagram ads. But we, we are very strategic with it. Like, we really watch the analytics. Um, we watch the keywords that we put in there. Um, we've actually found that um, we do quite well with the, the fair trade community. Um, so we're part of a, a verification called Fair Trade Federation. And so a lot of gift shops, like 10,000 Villages, um, will carry different fair trade products and, um, and they look for products like ours because we're part of this verification. And so with the gift shops that we found, we've done quite well um, and fair trade shops because it's, it follows with our, what we're doing with our brand mission. Uh, but marketing online is really tricky. We are on Amazon. We are on Justy.com. Um, it's it's always changing. At the start, I would just use interns. Um, so I'd set up a clear project of like, hey, we want to figure out how to um, drive this campaign when we launch Purple Tea. 
So I had two incredible uh, interns from um, a local university in Vancouver, and they executed the campaign and they rocked it. And uh, I ended up hiring one of them now, and they, she runs all of her social media. So um, I think you get to be a bit scrappy at the start too with that that spending. Uh, be careful, and then try to lead people so you don't have to, so they can get training if they are doing school projects um, that require an internship. Um, I definitely seek them out because we did that for many years and, and I would just train these people on marketing and, and, and allow them to lead their own projects so it looks really good on their resume um, and it's part of their, their class studies typically anyway. So uh, the marketing thing, it's always just shifting for us it seems like and it's, as you can probably tell from my answer, it's I'm still unclear on it um, but we're doing the best we can and, and we know what is important um, to us and to our customers and to Kenya and so we just stay on that messaging and, and, and hope it continues to connect so mm -hmm. but you're right too like marketing is always shifting it's an ever-evolving industry and I think that as business owners we have to constantly be looking at our strategies with a watchful eye and pivoting them all the time right because what works today is not what worked 10 years ago is not what's going to work in the future and so i think it's great to hear that you are just continually testing and, and looking at your metrics and and really having that critical eye on well do facebook ads work yeah people are yelling from the rooftops that it's the easy way to acquire leads but not for all businesses so it's really important to make sure that um, yeah, you're analyzing what's going well and what's not. Um, so let's shift a little bit here. I would love to know kind of where you are at today. So maybe if you could each walk us through what a current day in the life looks like for you and what is filling your time now that we're seven years into the Just Tea journey. Okay, so um, well, earlier on we were doing a lot of our packaging in-house, as Paul said, and we were um, getting the help of volunteers in our community, which was really great. Uh, it was awesome. We'd host little volunteer parties and have people get together and uh, put some orders together. Um, so fast forward to today, um, everything is uh, co-packed at a manufacturer. So my day-to-day my -day job is um, usually I, I communicate with Kenya at the start of the morning just before they go to bed, and, uh, and then I shift to, to Canada after that uh, once everything is kind of um, and once we're on the same page with Kenya and uh, it so it's just getting uh, the purchase orders and having enough inventory on hand at the manufacturer and making sure that they have enough raw materials so that they can produce everything that is needed uh, for that given week um, and uh, and then the other big part of my job is to uh, look at purchasing uh, long-term uh, maintaining our relationship with suppliers, making sure that we're not buying too much or too little, and uh, negotiating on those prices and, and looking at long-term uh, the finance of the company, the financial health of the company, that ties into pretty much every aspect of, of what we do. So mm -hmm. um, those are, yeah, the main pillars of my job, and uh, it, it's, it changes every day in operations where you can have one day where it's two o'clock and you think, oh, I have, nothing, I, I have nothing pressing to do. And then you have this kind of, okay, well, let's start looking at the big picture stuff because nothing's urgent or, um, so, and then the next day, all of a sudden, you know, you have, you have a bunch of things that are popping up, uh, shipments that didn't get there on time or a customer complaint or, or something that has to be rerouted. And, and those are unexpected things that you have to deal with. So it takes you away from the big picture, but, um, as the business grows, uh, it's nice that I'm able to devote 
more than half of my day to those big picture items and uh, and just really maintain that flow of operations. I think that's the biggest uh, metric for me is if, if the flow is happening right, if, if um, there's the right amount of inventory, there's nobody that's you know missing an order or missing product or uh, or missing or us missing money in, mm-hmm. in our uh, financial statements yeah yeah I think that's so important too for anyone listening who is kind of bogged down and always running through a to-do list and constantly putting out fires there is no time to look at the bigger picture but that is so important to growing this business and you having time to understand like what the next level looks like and to really support that growth so it's great to hear that you do focus on that yeah putting out fires is the is the necessary thing to do uh, um, but uh, every time you're putting out a fire you should always make a note of how how could I have not, not had fire. this fire? <laughs> yeah, fire and what place. system can you I know, use? Some in things case. are unavoidable. Some fires just happen, and then, mm-hmm. but uh, but as you move along and you build the business, um, you're eliminating those things long term, and it it uh, it saves you in the long run instead of always just being on guard for those those activities that require your immediate attention. Um, the more you you build out your strategy, the less those things will happen. And, free up your stress and free up your time. Absolutely. Paul, what does a day in the life look like for you right now? And maybe you could explain how that has evolved over the last seven years. Uh, so my morning now starts around about 6.30 in the morning with uh, Cleo jumping into our bed, which is the best morning ever. Dog? Cat? Daughter. Daughter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I used to have a cat named Cleo, so that's where my mind goes automatically. No, our two and a half year old daughter oh. has learned how to open up the door to her room. So she opens it up at whatever time she feels like. Typically it's around 6.30. And then we'll bring all of her stuffies into our bed. And it's oh. so cute. And then even if I don't fall back asleep, she's squirming. It's the best way to wake up these days. So... Um, uh, it's great to have a king size bed. I'll s- yes. say that to the listeners if you have children. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so my morning will start very much family focused, um, followed by a green smoothie and a bike ride to work. <laughs> and then uh, speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then checking into a work day, it can be, it can bring a whole lot of variety. Like I'll usually know what's going to be happening, but. Um, Russ and I will taste some teas. We do all the quality control in the office, so we'll do a lot of tea tasting there. Um, and so we're cupping teas almost once a week, basically, from new samples, fresh shipments. Um, we still keep we keep that very close to us. We want to ensure that the customer is tasting the best product always. Um, and so we'll we do teas tastings. Um, I'll be doing sales and marketing still, uh, working with uh, the, the different part-time people that we have on board, helping with that. Um, leading some of the Kenyan product development. So it will range from, yeah, WhatsApp calls to Kenya, to just responding to the daily emails, to um, tea tastings. Uh, We'll do, my wife's part of the business as well, so she'll do order fulfillment. So we'll do, I'll work with her on a little bit of like what samples we're gonna send out to new customers. Um, We work with some social media influencers, what product we're sending out to them to, get them excited about the product and to share it with their followers. Uh, it's it's a wide-ranging day, and, and that's what I love about it. Russ mentioned earlier about how, you know, the nine to five was never really a draw for him, um, and it, I was the same way. And I feel like we've found a pretty good balance. Our nine to five, it is, we are at office, it's nine to five, but 
it is so fluid and it's because we are leading it um, that it allows it to not feel like a typical you know office job um, and then you know we're, we're doing these trips to, to these tea festivals and also trips to Kenya right and and so it allows us to have a lot of variety and keeps it fresh and keeps that energy up there. Mm -hmm. And so do you, have you given yourself an official title? Like, do you call yourself the co-founder or founder or are you the chief marketing officer? I'm the tea captain. Tea captain. I love that. And I'm and, the doctor of operations. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I get really excited when I hear people kind of making up like innovative titles. Of course, you can have a more formal one, but it's nice to hear that. And so, Paul, you mentioned your wife is involved in the business. So I'm sure she's kind of always been there as a support, but has she always worked in the business with you and your dad? Pretty much since the start. My wife and actually my mom as well. When Russ mentioned that we did these volunteer packaging parties, yeah, we'd have like a big dinner and multiple cups of tea and we all get together. So my mom was always the one who was um, cutting the fabric for the tins. Um, and she's still doing that. We still offer our, our, our artisanal exclusive um, fabric wrap tins online for some of our products, which is a, a throwback. Um, only on, on our website, so she'll still do that. And um, my wife was involved from the start doing some of the design work, so she actually designed the logo. Um, and then she'd work with me a lot on the packaging development and design. That's, some, that's something that I love doing. I'm really meticulous about it, and very much perfectionist as well. Um, from the palette to the patterns to the picture of the farmer, I'll take all the photos when I'm in Kenya with them. Um, just how we, how we really show the product off because, you know, especially in a grocery store, you have a few seconds to draw that customer's eye and that's it. And so if they're not picking up yours, then they're going to pick up a, a box of dusty tea that's sitting on the shelf. So you may as well grab that just tea tin. Um, but it's, yeah, my wife is Sally. She's been amazing. And my daughter, actually, we converted Russ's office when my daughter was born to a nursery because my mom and my wife were in there so often. So she would, my daughter would be in a, once or twice a week, and we had this whole playroom set up. So it was just a really fun energy in the office with Cleo running around and checking out everything, and uh, yeah, it's, it's good. And you mentioned you also have someone doing social media for you. Is there anyone else that you've hired or brought onto the team that's played a critical role? Yeah, I've always had someone who helps with, um, with sales and account management, so um, Sonia um, is currently doing that right now part-time, and she's wonderful. And then um, on marketing, uh, Nicole and Adam uh, work part-time doing uh, our Amazon and, and social media marketing. Um, anyone else that works? No, I think that's about it. Yeah. Besides Kenya, like there's yeah. so many yes. people over there. Yeah. Kenya and, and, and um, we work together with them, so we're talking with them constantly. And they're leading um, everything on the ground on the production side. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in terms of plans for growth, obviously, I'm sure your vision is bigger than where we're at today. So um, what do you have any plans to expand the product line? Or I know you mentioned tea safaris and hosting kind of these trips that we could immerse in the experience. What is the vision moving forward? Is there anything on your minds? Oh, we definitely want to build as much volume of production as we can in Kenya. So that means that we're going to be looking at the bulk sector. We already do sell tea as, as bulk. Um, so that, that will really help Kenyans uh, have more employees under that factory and uh, keep that factory profitable. And uh, so the expansion right now is, you know, we, we see our operational footprint in Canada very small and, and all the growth will be happening in Kenya. 
there's half a million tea farmers that own a small acreage of tea, mm -hmm. and uh, they either don't pluck it because it's too much work for the for the money reward that they get from the large factories, um, or or they or they do it and they kind of break even. They make just a couple dollars a day. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to try to. Uh, give those people another opportunity, uh, another place to bring their leaf, and uh, and get a, a better wage for that. Mm, very Our exciting. Big hairy audacious goal is to impact ten percent of um, the tea industry in Kenya, so about fifty thousand farmers. Mm -hmm. And we won't be able to work with fifty thousand farmers. That'd be very tricky. Um, we we definitely want to be known as the leading provider of, of high quality Kenyan teas, especially purple tea. But 50,000 farmers, that is way too much tea because they're plucking tea year-round. Mm -hmm. So, But we see our impact happening in all sorts of different ways, whether it's uh, the spoon carvers, the people who pack the tea at the factory, from the pickers, um, to even the people that cook chapatis, you know, for the staff there. Um, like, there's a lot of different impact that we can have to get to that 50,000 mark. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the, the, the vision that we have right now. For Very inspiring. Um, could you walk us through what your current product selection looks like? Um, we have uh, 16 different types of teas. We have tw uh, 12 blends and four uh, full-leaf artisanal teas. Uh, called premium grade teas, and uh, the the twelve blends are available in the tins um, uh, on grocery stores and online and Amazon.com, mm -hmm. and uh, we have four uh, purple tea blends. Uh, one is a purple chocolate. It's got cacao shells and uh, rose petals with purple tea, and the purple rain is a fruitier blend. And it's got uh, lemongrass, hibiscus, apple pieces, a little bit of rooibos. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, really great as an iced tea in the summer as well. And uh, purple mint uh, with peppermint and spearmint blend. And the uh, fourth one is a purple jasmine with a mix of purple tea and jasmine green tea. Mm -hmm. And uh, Which one's most popular? Ooh, probably the purple rain. Purple Rain, my, my favorite is the Purple Jasmine. Purple Rain is always a top seller. It's our tribute to Prince with that blend. It's really lively, passionate, uh, really full flavor, just really bright. It's also Boaz's uh, favorite artist. He loves <laughs> Prince, <laughs> so uh, he's on the tin. Uh, Boaz is not Prince, Boaz is on the tin. <laughs> Boaz is um, and, uh, and then our, our, our four so we have our four purple teas. We also have four black tea base blends. So our African China Earl Grey are also very popular. And then our four caffeine-free herbal teas, which come from an amazing woman's club actually in Eastern Kenya that we work directly with as well. So they grow lemongrass for us um, and hibiscus. And so we have uh, some different herbal caffeine-free blends as well um, that are quite popular also. Mm, very cool. I can't wait to try it too. <laughs> I usually like to try before the podcast, but didn't get a chance. So I'm, I'm very excited. Okay. So as we kind of wind down in the interview, uh, I want to do some rapid fire with you. We have a lot of aspiring and new entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast and they're really just trying to wrap their head around some of the more tactical things like tools that you use and a ritual that helps you get in your entrepreneurial spirit or your um, kind of go-getter attitude. So Paul, maybe we'll start with you. So just answer the first thing that comes to mind. So number one, is there a business person or a business that you look up to? Uh, level ground for sure right now. Um, and then business people, 
Um, I just do a lot of uh, audible books, podcasts, anything with um, ethical business, uh, social business. I, I would search those out and just learn about those founders. Mm, amazing. Um, yeah. uh, is there a tool or an object or a ritual that you feel like you couldn't live without in managing and running Just Tea? <sighs> Uh, besides my computer and a cup of tea beside it. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Way to plug your own product there. <laughs> but yes, I, we'll go with those answers. I like that. Um, and last one for you. Is there a skill, a business skill, we'll say, that you're currently focused on up-leveling or something that you're learning a lot more about? My skill for Russ is to get better at computer typing. <laughs> Are you not good at computer typing? I, I need him to be better at Excel. Yeah, and, there you go. Calculating. I like how you call each other out. Wait, we have to pause here for a moment because I don't think we've addressed the fact that you two started as friends and then became um, like partners in this business and you work together every day. Has that been a challenge, moving the relationship from friendship to coworkers? Well, we're we still friends. <laughs> yeah, we. You're like we're not friends anymore. <laughs> we're working all the time, so we don't have time to be friends. <laughs> Very true. But we, we we tree planted together, so you know that's you know we learned to uh, work together. Paul was a crew foreman, and I was a driver, so I was mm-hmm. you know we were working together, managing together. So we have a good foundation of being friends and working at the same time. So it was a really good transition from tree planting to this. Yeah, that's interesting. I almost think probably tree planting is similar to that phrase. Like when you travel someone, then you know you can be with them forever. But it's like if you tree plant with them, you've seen each other, I'm sure, at your highs, your lows, your best, your worst, your dirtiest, your cleanest, you know. So that's really cool. Um, All right, so Russ, let's come over to you. Just a few rapid fire. So is there a business person or a business that you look up to? Um, well, I've been m- mentored by uh, Paul's dad, Grayson, quite a bit. I've definitely used his advice uh, along the years. Uh, it's been really great. And oh, and he is actually taking new uh, new people if they need consulting, oh, young businesses. So, yeah. does he do Grayson uh, Bain in Vancouver? Yeah, Grayson Bain. What? So, how involved is he in the business now? Just on a side tangent. So he's in. He's basically just opening himself up to being involved as much as we need him. So at the start, he was very full time. Fully volunteer, like he's just an amazing father, an amazing person to be able to mentor us. Um, and now it's just essentially when we need him to to help guide us in certain mm-hmm. things. So he is uh, he's working on a whole bunch of other different projects. He loves breathing energy and experience into new brands or, or new businesses. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll we'll call on him as as needed, and he's 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 always there. So. Well, we'll have to get him on the podcast one day. <laughs> uh, okay, Russ, back to you. So is there a tool or an object or a ritual that you feel like you couldn't live without in doing your job each day? Uh, I would say WhatsApp. WhatsApp is a, a unique way for us to get in touch with Kenya all the time. Um, and they, you know, they're able to communicate with us uh, with that. And I think if that... Um, if that instant communication was gone, uh, it would be very difficult to run this business. Mm-hmm. And is there a business skill that you're currently working on up-leveling? Um, um, I guess I have to start learning how to type. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the two-finger typer? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't do a lot of typing, but uh, I just still look at my hands when I'm on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get you back in uh, that school where they put the 
blanket yeah, over your hands and then you have to type. That in elementary school. <laughs> I think that's like grade five, yeah. grade six. So we'll just yeah. throw you in an yeah, elementary school. It's a school. skill that I, I had in grade five and lost, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I could talk to you both forever, but I see that we're rounding out on an hour here. So I'm going to come into our final question that I ask all our guests and you can each answer separately. So for someone who's listening right now, who's just really yearning to start up a business or a side hustle or even just a passion project, but they just have no idea where to begin. Maybe they're just paralyzed in fear and they would love to hear from you one tip on how they can start taking some action on that passion project or, or full-time venture. What advice would you offer them? Uh, I would say don't, don't focus on trying to get that success right away. Uh, just, just take that one step, see if it works, and then have a couple plan Bs uh, if that step doesn't work. And just kind of always hold that vision in your mind and, and just take it one day at a time and, uh, and you know, count your successes, count your failures, and, uh, and the journey will happen. Um, it's, it's really hard to see results in the first couple of years. And then if, if, you're, if you're passionate about it as you go through it and uh, the project starts getting put together, that, uh, that progress will, will happen exponentially through, after those hard years of mm-hmm. lack of progress. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to hear you say, you know, that don't expect success right away. And exactly. I always encourage my clients um, to think that with the same mindset because failure is a good thing. Failure gives you data that that's not the right thing to launch right now or not done in the right way. And that will hopefully just propel you forward into your success. Uh, Paul, for you, what advice would you offer someone who's yearning to start up that passion project or side hustle? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would definitely just recommend that they look at other businesses that are in that same kind of sphere or category and learn from them. So experience their products or their services and maybe even reach out to them. Because a lot of like, if, some, if another tea company reaches out to me and asks me questions, like I'll respond to them. Like I'm not gonna you know, disclose everything, but I'll try to give them as much as I can um, and, and share, especially if it's a non-tea company, I'll share as much experience as I can from that. So mm-hmm. I'd recommend seeing what they like um, that's already exists out there and learn from that. And then definitely just test your product on your friends, get out there, just try to see what, how people respond to it. Um, so reach out to mentors or businesses that are already in that same sphere and then, and then go and just put something out there and just see how it's, uh, how it's received. Mm-hmm. That's so good too. And I think a lot of people are really fearful to strike up those conversations with people they view as their competition. They're very accessible. Like just do yeah. a Google search, you'll usually be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll find a phone number, call head office, ask to, to speak to them if you just find their name on LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah. Send a general email, send a bunch out and you'll, you'll be able to get in touch with some of them. And, and again, if you are, a, you know, if you're a young entrepreneur and wanting some advice, like feel free to reach out to myself or Russ and we'll gladly try to speak into uh, as much as we can with our experience. Well, that's an amazing offer. So thank you for saying that. Um, okay. So where can people learn more about Just Tea? Where can they buy your products, plug all the places we can find you? Um, the best place to start is JustTea.com. Um, you could uh, buy our products there, um, read about the story, the Kenyan team, the Canadian team, um, more details about uh, what purple tea is and how we process it, uh, why it's beneficial for Kenyans and for the consumer. And uh, you could uh, go on there and use coupon code VISIONARY and get 20% off. Yeah. And uh, yeah, any other places people should follow you? You got Instagram, right? Instagram, Justy Kenya. Facebook, Justy Kenya. 
And then you'll find us in a lot of different stores if you are based in Toronto, Goodness Me, Healthy Planet, Whole Foods. If you have a, a favorite independent store or store that um, you love to shop at, just please ask them to carry Just Tea if they don't have it. That really helps us out a lot too. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Amazon and you'll see us around. Amazing. And that will all be linked in the show notes so people can go find it there. And thank you both for taking the time. I know you're only here for a few short days. It was really great to have you come share your journey on the podcast. And I know so many people will be inspired by this story. I just think it's fascinating. And I myself am really wanting after chatting with you both to learn more about fair trade and direct trade and how I can better support through my purchasing choices. So again, thank you for sharing the journey and hopefully we get to keep in touch and Good luck. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Visionary Life. Did you learn something new or are you inspired to take action on a new project? If so, please get in touch with me on Instagram at Kelsey Rydell or in our secret Facebook community. Just search Visionary Life by Kelsey Rydell on Facebook. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It helps us share the stories of visionary entrepreneurs with more and more people. If you're interested in working with me, just head to KelseyRidal.com. And if you've been thinking about joining my 90-day business coaching program, please reach out and book a free 15-minute call, and I'd love to chat with you.